Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of customer and patient experience and how training can play a big part in teaching empathy and understanding to improve it. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Jennifer Thompson. First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do at Insight and and what types of organizations you typically work with? Yeah, um, thanks for having me, Greg. So I own a company called Insight Marketing Group, and I kind of stumbled upon being a business owner after um, working for a Fortune 100 company and running their marketing programs. I decided one day I would run for office, and I lost. And when I lost, I went into building my own business and eventually found a niche in healthcare. And so fast forward 15 years later, and I've got a a solid team and we work really, we really work with independent physician groups as our specialty. So any kind of non-hospital owned physician groups, and then kind of post COVID, we have really found a niche in helping those organizations who also work with independent physicians. And so we've done that for about 15 years. And then we've also got a training company that trains uh, medical practice employees all about how to improve customer service and patient experience. Because as we've really gotten an understanding of the industry over the years, we've seen kind of the digital landscape change. And what I mean by that is it used to be you put up a website and maybe you run some ads and eventually you got on social media. But somewhere in the last handful of years, um, really around 2002, 2003, we saw a shift to online reviews. And that data tells you a lot about what is going on at your company, around your practice. And what it tells you is that it's time to focus on the experience that the patient is having Because if you can make that change to adjust your patient experience and deliver better customer service, it actually ties back into your marketing at a very big level. And so that's kind of the niche that we've carved for ourselves, and it's it's really working out well. Well, you've worked in several industries in the past. You mentioned even running for office, um, but um, you're currently working with the the healthcare providers that you mentioned. Uh, In the healthcare industry, customer experience is often referred to as patient experience. So let's uh, discuss this a little bit more. Uh, So first, why don't you define uh, what you, how you define a good patient experience and and what are the things that are unique to patients and healthcare that people in other industries might not take into account? Absolutely. So I think that um, if you asked a physician a couple of years ago, what they thought patient experience was, and they would say that they had, that a patient had a positive outcome. Fast forward today, and I think that when you are looking at patient experience, it's not so much in the eyes of a physician or a provider, 
And it's not so much in the eyes of what maybe an employer or an employee thinks that the experience is. It's really about how the patient feels when they walk out, out the door or when they interact with the company. And what I mean by that, and I think it kind of translates from medical to retail to you know, food service, whatever it is, the patient experience includes how that patient feels when they go to your website, how easy it is to find your office. Um, it, it would include you know, what the experience is in the waiting room, how easy it was to schedule. Um, it even goes as far as including what the patient, how the patient perceives the practice or the physician through the eyes of other people, meaning if other people are saying positive things about you, whether it's on social media or on Yelp or health grades or something like that, then that's also helping to shape the perception of the patient. And I think this translates, you know, just like I was saying, to different industries, whether it's, you know, you're a restaurant owner or whether you are a retail establishment or maybe you're just in a service-based industry. A lot of the customer experience is all about how the customer views you in the world today allows the customer to view you in a much more transparent way that's ever been possible in the past. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and I think what I've seen in, in, in my experience is the best companies that uh, do this most successfully, it's really experience and improving the experience becomes part of their culture. So how can healthcare providers make improving patient experience part of this, you know, really part of not just a process to be followed, but part of their culture. Absolutely. So I think so I think it goes kind of it's multifold. One thing that makes healthcare really unique that you know your average Joe doesn't have to deal with is within healthcare we are kind of governed under HIPAA, which is the the privacy and and protecting the patient's data to the point that even even going onto social media and responding to a patient's inquiry in a public setting can be viewed by some attorneys as a HIPAA violation. And going and responding to a negative review online can be viewed, you know, as a HIPAA violation. So you have to balance when you're when you're talking about defining it from a cultural standpoint and making it part of your culture, you have to on one side really ingrain in your team protecting protecting the patient's privacy, understanding what you can and cannot do. But I think it boils down to at least in my experience, it boils down to defining for your employees and for the people you work with that the number one concern of your job is to deliver an exceptional customer experience. And I drill this home with the practices that I work with. Focus on your people and taking care of your people and creating that good culture. And your people will take care of your customers. And so it's constantly, you know, creating whether it's a program or a policy or kind of walking the talk, um, but just driving home the fact that you've got to focus on your people so that your people will focus on your customers. And if you do that, then the culture is positive and it'll permeate all the way throughout until you even get to the customer themselves or the patient. And if you're take if your people are happy, then your patients are going to be happy as a result. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's, I mean, it's, it's got to start on the inside and, and it makes it so much easier. I mean, focusing just on the customers without focusing on the employees first, it's, it's, it's really tough to have lasting change. Um, so let's, let's talk a, about uh, the role of training in, in creating these great experiences. I know training is something that you do as well. 
So are most organizations generally receptive to more training? And how have you made um, that something that your customers are able to adopt both in the short and the long term? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just tell you a little story of how I got into the training side of things. So I do marketing for physicians and for medical practices. And one of the big areas, which I've already alluded to a little bit, that practices are really paying attention to because it's changing the way that they operate. It's, it's really drives home why we need patient experience training. And, and that's these online reviews. And so you've got practices that are getting, you know, decent sized practices. They might be getting 15, 20, 25 reviews a week. And, you know, that can add up to a couple hundred a month. And I've got practices that might have 10, 15,000 reviews from patients that are unsolicited where they've gone online and, and talked about their experience with their providers, with their doctor. Wow. And um, we really, we, we take the data that's out there, which any business can do this, take the data that's out there and download the data into some spreadsheets and look at what the data is telling you. And nine times out of 10, you will, you'll come up with a couple of common themes and those common themes for medical practices are typically wait time, um, the front desk staff, something that they said didn't settle right, maybe the, the billing, they're not thrilled with billing, and then once in a while, it's, it's related to a diagnosis. And so you can, you can really take this in, kind of evaluate what that data is telling you, and then create a training program, or at least allow that to identify where you might need to upskill your employees. And um, that's what we've done. So I have a practice that has about 10,000 or so reviews. They came to me a couple of years ago and said, look, Jen, I want you to, to, to move the needle on negative reviews to positive. And we said, well, we can't really be the ones to move the needle for you. We can tell you what's happening. So we, we did a deep dive into the data. That's all the public facing data. Looked at what it told us, identified some themes and created some training specific to tackle those negatives that were in those themes. And so I think that as, as organizations out there, maybe you're thinking, you know, I need, to, I need to train my employees or I'm tired of this two-star Yelp rating. Stop worrying about covering up the negatives and start worrying about looking inward and use those online reviews to look inward. And a lot of times you may just need to do it for do some training and bring it top of mind for a couple of months, but track that data that everybody is out there looking at to make a purchasing decision, whether they want to come to you or come to someone else, track that data, and then you can make adjustments on what you're going to train for and what kind of upskilling that you need to do. Yeah. And so how do you measure success? Uh, you know, you talked about what, how you kind of determine the types of training, but how do you measure success? And then, you know, when's it time to move on to a new type of training or maybe the next phase of, of, of training or something like that. Yeah. So for me, um, for our group, there's kind of two um, KPIs that we really focus on. One is we track month over month positive versus negative reviews. So we look at how many um, reviews are coming in and of those, are they a four or five star or are they a one, two, three star? And if they're a one, two, three star, we want to understand what kind of the underlying reason for those negative reviews might be. And then um, the second KPI that we track is employee retention rates. We, we really look at you know, our, what's the turnover on employees and when employees are leaving, what's the likelihood, or not even when they're leaving, but just in general, 
what's the likelihood that an employee would recommend another employee, not like a family or a family member or friend to either come to the practice or to work at the practice? Because those are kind of the big performance indicators that we're looking for. Because employee training, yes, it's about upskilling and addressing some of the negatives that might be out there. But it's also about, you know, creating an engaged and satisfied workforce. And that's a way when you're measuring, when you're measuring kind of that, um, that KPI where you're, where you're looking at engagement numbers, when you're measuring on that side, that will also tell you a little bit about your culture and if your culture is working for you or against you. Because, you know, if you had interviewed me six months ago, I would be talking to you about how we're at full employment. And this was a big concern of businesses. I cannot keep my employees happy. And so what do I need to do? And that was a big concern. Totally different conversation today. Hopefully six months from now, we'll be in the same situation. But I think that, you know, if you can measure kind of the positive and negatives that that the public is seeing, and then also measure internally how your employees are feeling about your business, those are the two things I would measure. Well, you definitely, you, you referred to um, the next topic I wanted to talk about is uh, COVID-19 and, and just some of the impacts there um, and you dealing in the healthcare industry. I can, I can only imagine that there's been some, some pretty big impacts. So what, what challenges has COVID-19 presented both to your company as well as to your customers and how are you able to help them during this time? Yeah, totally. So for my company, um, I went through the recession in 2008, 2009 as a business owner, and I made some mistakes back then of not moving fast enough to cut expenses, to find lines of credits, things like that. So I was very quick to make decisions and to be completely transparent with all of my team members. Um, knock on wood, we did really well in the last couple oh, of great. months. We added clients to our rosters. We did not worry um, about cash flow because we were able to go after the PPP and get that and get that money from the government and to take it in as a loan. So we didn't have to stress out about getting our, our clients to pay us on time. We were able to float, which was really helpful because it took our took us out of thinking about that and we could think about delivering to the clients. So that all worked out really well. And knock on wood, I was able to even hire a person during um, the last few months just because we needed help. With that yeah. said, we needed help because from a healthcare standpoint, you know, the hospitals were overwhelmed with everything that was going on. The governor, at least in our state and in most of the states that we work with, if not all of them, um, the governor's actually basically turned off any kind of non-emergency surgery and prevented all physicians from performing non-emergency surgery, which basically shut everybody down. And so, um, you know, you've got the number one revenue stream for a physician's office outside of some specialties, mainly is their surgical care. And so when they can't perform surgery, they're not making money. And so we had that as kind of a big challenge. But then separate is we had to make a decision very quickly before as a company, we knew what was going on to figure out how we were going to be a resource to our clients. And we became a resource in, we became overnight experts in everything related to delivering um, a telemedicine solution. So we quickly vetted several companies for telemedicine and were able to pivot all of our practices that wanted it to get up and running on a telemedicine platform within 24 hours, which really helped us become such a resource for our clients in a way that we had never been. And I really think that's part of what drove us 
to being able to bring in new clients is people wanted to get set up on telemedicine. They needed help marketing their practices now that they were offering uh, telemedicine options. And it just helped us move forward. So I'm really excited about the second half of the year, as long as we can get this crazy thing under control. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's just so it's so great to hear. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, congrats on you on your good decisions. And uh, you know, I I lived through the 2009 um, economy as well, <laughs> and learned learned plenty of uh, learned plenty of things what not to do. Uh-huh. I'll say then. <laughs> But, um, you know, I love to see the, you know, certainly a topic we talk a lot about a lot on the show, the, the agility of being able to say, okay, listen, you know, we got to focus on telemedicine now. And, you know, the fact that you were able to hustle and, and get that set up so quickly, and not only does that help your, your business, but it also helps your customers. I mean, that's a win-win and that's just, that's great to hear. Yeah, it was, it was an exciting time. And I think that had I not had the right team in place that understood, you know, Look, we like it was race day, you know, like where you train, yeah. you you train, and we've been training for years, and all of a sudden, holy hell, we have like the race is here, and everybody immediately fell into position, and there were no questions. We just kind of everybody assumed our roles, and it just worked out. I wonder though, as we come out of it, at least for my business and my team, if there's going to be like a lull of a little bit of boredom, because you know you you work everybody works towards a common goal and it's like everybody's focused on it and you're laser focused and you don't realize how hard you're working because you're just getting it done. And when, when the whole thing's over, when the race is finally over, you're left wanting for a little something. And so now we're kind of figuring out what that's going to look like later on this year. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's an interesting, I've, I haven't heard that one, but that's, that's a, that's an interesting thing to consider. So yeah. And to your point, only time will tell. Yeah. So yeah. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up, uh, you know, you, you inferred this as well, but you know, you have a pretty diverse experience and according to LinkedIn even served as mayor of Orange County, Florida at one point in your career. Um, how has your diversity of experience helped you grow what advice would you have for others that either are in a position where they're looking for something new, whether that's, you know, because they're recently furloughed or, or just, you know, have time to, to think things through or just even trying to plan out the next few years in a, in a pretty chaotic time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, I was mayor of Orange County, Florida for a handful of weeks. <laughs> when, so I was a, an Orange County commissioner for eight years. And what that means is I'm one of, I was one of seven people responsible for making decisions in my community. And it just happens that my community is the number one tourist destination in the world. And we managed about a $4.1 billion budget. So I was one of seven and we have a strong mayor system and we were all term limited out and she had gotten elected to another position and had to, had to leave early by only a couple of weeks. So I happened to be vice mayor that year and basically I became mayor, but I was not allowed to make a single decision. And the only thing I got to do as mayor was sign my name to an electronic signature once so they could put it on the checks for the 9,000 employees. So that was the extent of mayor. But um, my eight years as a county commissioner taught me so much about slowing down and knowing your information. And I think that 
I, I tell it to my folks all the time, like you cannot learn enough, whether it's learn through reading, learn through doing, or learn through experiencing. And just like you said, Greg, like you went through 2008, 2009 as well. And we both kind of have the same reaction to it, but going through that experience prepared us for what we're going through right now to some degree. And when I was in politics, going through that experience gave me a breadth of knowledge in so many different things. And it also helped me deal with really difficult situations and it helped me be a better decision maker. And because of that, I just, I mean, the, the, the COVID and the negative, the, the dealing with the negativity from a, from a business ownership standpoint and just dealing with crisis, I was built for this because I've been training for it all these years. And so when I, when I talk to people about what should you do, like if you find yourself without a job right now, or you're looking to get into something else, there's no time like right now, you know, God willing that you're able to, that you can get your head in the right place and that you're healthy and that you're not stressed about everything else. But there's no time then right now to either deep dive into learning something or maybe even finding a way to become involved in your community you know, changing your perspective a little. And when you change your perspective, if you're looking for those opportunities when they come your way, you know, when they're coming, when you change your perspective, whether it's get out, stop watching TV and get out of the house and go help somebody or decide you're going to go somewhere and you're going to read for the sake of learning a new skill or something like that. There's no time like the present to change who you are and it just drives me nuts. I mean, my, I've got a younger brother who um, found himself unemployed. And what he does every day is he watches TV. You know, yeah. take the time to become a better person. Because when that happens, and I have young people all the time ask me, well, how did you get to where you are? Look, you prepare. You, you keep an open mind. You know, part of keeping an open mind is preparing. And when opportunity comes a knock in, you open that door and you walk right through that door. And you have to be in the right state of mind and you have to have the right skill sets and the right resources mentally to be prepared to walk through that door. And so, you know, what can somebody be doing right now? Get yourself ready to be ready because opportunity is going to come back and you have to be ready to take advantage of it. I love that. That's, that's great advice. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing and, and keep up with you? Yeah, totally. I would say um, hit me up on LinkedIn. That's really an easy way. It's Jennifer Thompson and Orlando, and you will find me. Or you can always check me out on my website, which is InsightM, as in marketing, G, as in group.com. And you can always find me. I've got a podcast that I've been doing. We're about 250 episodes into it. You can find us at the Doctor Marketing Tips podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Jennifer Thompson from Insight Marketing for joining the show. To learn more about both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkillstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.